Chapter 46 of The Deluge, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Deluge, Volume 2, by Henrik Sienkiewicz. Translated by Jeremiah Curtan. Chapter 46 But a certain day, Panana Anusha Borjobohata arrived at Taurogi with a convoy of some tens of soldiers. Thrond received her very politely, for he had to do so, since he was thus commanded by a letter from Sakovich, signed by Boguslav himself, enjoining him to have every regard for this lady-in-waiting of Princess Griselda Vishnyovetsky. The young lady herself was full of vivacity. From the first moment she began to pierce Braun with her eyes, so that the sullen German moved about as if someone were touching him with fire. She began also to command other officers, in a word, to manage in Taurogi as in her own house. In the evening of the same day, she made the acquaintance of Olenka, who received her with distrust, it is true, but politely, in the hope that she would get news from her. In fact, Anusha had news in plenty. Her conversation began with Chenstohova, since the prisoners in Taurogi were most eager for that news. The sword-bearer listened with special diligence. He held his hands behind his ears so as to lose no word, merely interrupting Anusha's narrative from time to time with the exclamation, Praise be to God on high! It is a wonder to me, said Anusha at last, that news of these miracles of the Most Holy Lady have only just reached you, for that is an old story. I was still in Zamosch, and Pan Babinich had not come for me. Aye, how many weeks was it before that? Then they began to beat the Swedes everywhere, in Great Poland and with us, but most of all Pan Charnetsky, before whose very name they fly. Oh, Charnetsky, cried the sword-bearer, rubbing his hands, he will give them pepper. I heard of him even from the Ukraine, as of a great warrior. Anusha merely shook her dress, and exclaimed to herself with aversion, as if it were a question of the smallest matter, Oh, it is all over with the Swedes. Old Pan Tomash could not restrain himself. Seizing her small hand, he buried the little thing entirely in his enormous moustaches, and kissed it eagerly. At last he cried, Oh, my beauty, honey flows from your mouth, as God is dear to me. It cannot be but an angel has come to Taurogi. Anusha began at once to twist the ends of her tresses, tied with rosy ribbons, and cutting with her eyes from under her brows, said, Oh, it is far from me to the angels. But the hetmans of the kingdom have begun to beat the Swedes, and all the quarter soldiers with them, and the knights, and they have formed a confederation in Tishovtsi. The king has joined it, and they have given out manifestos. Even the peasants are beating the Swedes, and the Most Holy Lady gives her blessing. 
she spoke as if a bird were warbling but from that warbling Bilevich's heart grew soft though some of the news was already known to him he bellowed at last like an aurochs from delight tears too began to flow over the face of olenka silent and many seeing this anusha having a good heart from nature sprang to her at once and putting her arms around her neck began to say quickly do not cry i am sorry for you and cannot see you shed tears why do you weep there was so much sincerity in her voice that olenka's distrust vanished at once but the poor girl wept still more you are so beautiful said anusha comforting her why do you cry from joy answered olenka but also from suffering for we are here in grievous captivity knowing neither the day nor the hour how is that are you not with prince boguslav that traitor that heretic roared bilevich the same has happened to me said anusha but i do not cry for that reason i do not deny that the prince is a traitor and a heretic but he is a courteous cavalier and respects our sex god grant that in hell they will respect him in the same fashion young lady you know him not for he has not attacked you as he has this maiden he is an arch ruffian and that sakovitch is another god gives sapieha to defeat them both as to defeating he will defeat them prince boguslav is terribly sick and he has not a great force it is true that he advanced quickly scattered some squadrons and took tikotsin and me but it is not for him to measure with the forces of pan sapieha you may trust me for i saw both armies with pan sapieha are the greatest cavaliers who will be able to manage prince boguslav well do you see have i not told you asked the old man turning to olenka i know prince boguslav from of old continued anusha for he is a relative of the vishnyovetskys and zamoyski he came once to us at lubni when prince yeremi himself was campaigning against the tartars in the wilderness he remembered that i was at home there and nearest the princess i was such a little thing then not as i am to-day my god who could think at that time that he would be a traitor but grieve not for either he will fail to return or we shall escape from this place in some way we have tried that already said olenka and you did not succeed how could we asked bilevich we told the secret to an officer whom we thought ready to aid us but it turned out that he was ready to hinder not to help seniority over all here is with brawn the devil himself could not win that man anusha dropped her eyes maybe i can if pan sapieha would only come so that we might have someone with whom to take refuge god give him at the earliest answered pan tomash for among his men we have many relatives acquaintances and friends among them too are former officers of the great yeremi Vodyovsky, Skshetuski, Zagwoba, I know them. But they are not with Sapieha. Oh, if they were, especially Vodyovsky, for Skshetuski is married, I should not be here, 
for Pan Vorovsky would not let himself be picked up as Pan Kotchitz did. He is a great cavalier, said Bilevich. The glory of the whole Commonwealth, added Olenka. Have they not fallen since you did not see them? Oh, no, answered Anusha, for the loss of such knights would be spoken of, but nothing was said. You do not know them, they will never yield, only a bullet will kill them, for no man can stand before Skshetuski, Zagwoba, or Pan Mihau. Though Pan Mihau is small, I remember what Prince Yeremi said of him, that if the fate of the whole Commonwealth depended on a battle between one man and another, he would choose Pan Mihau for the battle. He was the man who conquered Borgun. Oh no, Pan Mihau will help himself always. Bilevich, satisfied that he had someone with whom to talk, began to walk with long strides through the room, asking, Well, well, then do you know Pan Vorodyovsky so intimately? Yes, for we lived in the same place so many years. Indeed, then certainly not without love. I'm not to blame for that, answered Anusha, taking a timid posture. But before this time, surely Pan Mihau is married. And he is just not married. Even if he were, it is all one to me. God grant you to meet, but I am troubled because you say that they are not with the hetman, for with such soldiers victory would be easier. There is someone there who is worth them all. Who is he? Pan Babinich, from Vityebsk. Have you heard of him? Not a word, which is a wonder to me. Anusha began to relate the history of her departure from Zamosh, and everything that happened on the road. Babinich grew in her narrative to such a mighty hero that the sword-bearer was at a loss to know who he was. I know all Lithuania, said he. There are houses, it is true, with similar names, such as Babonalbek, Babil, Babinovsky, Babinski, and Babiski. Babinich I have not heard, and I think it must be an assumed name, for many who are in parties take such names, so that their property and relatives may not suffer from the enemy. Hmm, Babinich. He is some fiery cavalier, since he was able to settle Zamoyski in that fashion. Oh, how fiery, cried Anusha. The old man fell into good humour. How is that? asked he, stopping before Anusha and putting his hands on his hips. If I tell you, you'll suppose God knows what. God preserve me, I will suppose nothing. Barely had we come out of Zamosh, when Pan Babinich told me that someone else had occupied his heart, and though he received no rent, still he did not think of changing the tenant. And do you believe that? Of course I believe it, answered Anusha with great vivacity. He must be in love to his ears, since after so long a time, since, since... Oh, there is some since he would not, said the old man, laughing. But I say that, repeated Anusha, stamping her foot, since, well, we shall soon hear of him. God grant it. And I will tell you why. As often as Pan Babinich mentioned Prince Boguslav, his face grew white and his teeth squeaked like doors. 
he will be our friend said the sword-bearer certainly and we will flee to him if he shows himself if i could escape from this place i would have my own party and you would see that war is no novelty to me either and that this old hand is good for something yet go under command of pan babinich you have a great wish to go under his command they chatted yet for a long time in this fashion and always more joyously he that olenka forgetting her grief became notably more cheerful and anusha began at last to laugh loudly at the sword-bearer she was well rested for at the last halting-place in rosyeni she had slept soundly she left them then only late in the evening she is gold not a maiden said bilevich after she had gone a sincere sort of heart and i think we shall soon come to confidence answered olenka but you looked at her frowningly at first for i thought that she was some one sent here do i know anything surely i fear every one in taurogi she sent perhaps by good spirits but she is as full of tricks as a weasel if i were younger i don't know to what it might come even as it is a man is still desirous olenka was delighted and placing her hands on her knees she put her head on one side mimicking anusha and looking askance at her uncle so dear uncle you wish to bake an aunt for me out of that flower oh be quiet be quiet said the sword-bearer but he laughed and began to twist his moustache with his whole hand after a time he added still she roused such a staid woman as you i am certain that great friendship will spring up between you in truth pan tomash was not deceived for in no long time a very lively friendship was formed between the maidens and it grew more and more perhaps just for this reason that the two were complete opposites one had dignity in her spirit depths of feeling invincible will and reason the other with a good heart and purity of thought was a tufted lark one with her calm face bright tresses and an unspeakable repose and charm in her slender form was like an ancient psyche the other a real brunette reminded one rather of an ignis fatus which in the night hours entices people into pathless places and laughs at their vexation the officers in taurogi who looked at both every day were seized with the desire to kiss olenka's feet but anusha's lips ketling having the soul of a scottish mountaineer hence full of melancholy revered and adored olenka but from the first glance he could not endure Anusha, who paid him in kind, making up for her losses on Braun and others, not excepting the sword-bearer of Rossieni himself. Olenka soon won great influence over her friend, who, with perfect sincerity of heart, said to Pan Tomash, She can say more in two words than I in a whole day but the dignified lady could not cure her vain friend of one defect coquetry for let anusha only hear the rattle of spurs in the corridor immediately she would pretend that she had forgotten something 
that she wanted to see if there were tidings from Sapieha, would rush into the corridor, fly like a whirlwind, and coming up against an officer, cry out, Oh, how you frightened me! Then a conversation would begin, intermingled with twisting of her skirts, glancing from under her brows, and various artful looks, through the aid of which the hardest heart may be conquered. This coquetry Olenka took ill of her, all the more that Anusha, after a few days, confessed to a secret love for Babinich. They discussed this among themselves more than once. Others beg like minstrels, said Anusha, but this dragon chose to look at his Tartars rather than at me, and he never spoke otherwise than in command. Come out, my lady, eat, my lady, drink, my lady. And if he had been rude at the same time, but he was not. If he had not been painstaking, but he was. In Krasnistav I said to myself, Do not look at me, wait. And in Lanchner I was so overcome that it was terrible. I tell you that when I looked into his blue eyes, and when he laughed, gladness seized me, such a prisoner was I. Olenka dropped her head, for blue eyes came to her memory too. And that one spoke in the same way, and he had command ever on his lips, activity ever in his face, but neither conscience nor the fear of God. Anusha, following her own thoughts, continued, When he flew over the field on his horse with his baton, I thought, That is an eagle or some hetman. The Tartars feared him more than fire. When he came, there had to be obedience, and when there was a battle, fires were striking him from desire of blood. I saw many worthy cavaliers in Lubni, but one such that fear seized me in his presence I have never seen. If the Lord God has predestined him to you, you will get him. But that he did not love you, I cannot believe. As to love, he loves me a little, but the other more. He told me himself more than once, It is lucky that I am not able to forget or cease loving, for it would be better to confide a kid to a wolf than such a maiden as you are to me. What did you say to that? I said, How do you know that I would return your love? And he answered, I should not have asked you. Now, what are you to do with such a man? That other woman is foolish not to love him, and she must have callousness in her heart. I ask what her name is, but he would not tell me. Better, said he, not to touch that, for it is a sore. And another sore, said he, is the Rajivil, the traitors. And then he made such a terrible face that I would have hidden in a mouse hole. I simply feared him. But what is the use in talking? He is not for me. Ask Saint Mihal for him. I know from Aunt Kulvietz that he is the best aid in such cases. Only be careful not to offend the saint by duping more men. I never will, except so much, the least little bit. Here Anusha showed on her finger how much, and she indicated at most about half the length of the nail, so as not to anger St. Mihal. I do not act so from waywardness, explained she to Bilevich, who also had begun to take her frivolity to heart. But I must, 
for if these officers do not help us, we shall never escape. Brawn will not let us out. Brawn is overcome, replied Anusha, with a thin voice, dropping her eyes. But Fitzgregory? He is overcome too, with a voice still thinner. And Ottenhagen? Overcome. And von Ehren? Overcome. May the forest surround you. I see that Ketling is the only man whom you could not manage. I cannot endure him, but someone else will manage him. Besides, we can go without his permission. And you think that when we wish to flee, they will not hinder? They will go with us, said Anusha, stretching her neck and blinking. For God's sake, then why do we stay here? I should like to be far away this day. But from the consultation which followed at once, it appeared needful to await the decision of Boguswav's fate and Pansapeha's arrival in the neighbourhood of Jmud. Otherwise, they would be threatened by terrible destruction from even their own people. The society of foreign officers not only would not be a defence, but would add to their danger, for the peasants were so terribly envenomed against foreigners that they murdered without mercy everyone who did not wear a Polish dress, even Polish dignitaries wearing foreign costume, not to speak of Austrian and French diplomats, could not travel save under the protection of powerful bodies of troops. You will believe me, for I have passed through the whole country, said Anusha. In the first village, in the first forest, ravagers would kill us without asking who we are. It is impossible to flee except to an army. But I shall have my own party. Before you could collect it, before you could reach a village where you are known, you would lose your life. News from Prince Boguswab must come soon. I have ordered Braun to inform me at once. But Braun reported nothing for a long time. Ketling, however, began to visit Olenka, for she, meeting him on a certain day, extended her hand to him. The young officer prophesied evil from this profound silence. According to him, the prince, out of regard for the elector and the Swedes, would not hold silence touching the least victory, and would rather exaggerate by description than weaken by silence the significance of real successes. I do not suppose that he is cut to pieces, said the young officer, but he is surely in such a difficult position that it is hard to find a way out. All tidings arrive here so late, said Olenka, and the best proof is that we learned first from Panala Borjobahata the particulars of the miraculous defence of Chenstohova. I, my lady, knew of that long ago, but, as a foreigner, not knowing the value which that place has for Poles, I did not mention it. That in a great war some small castle defends itself for a time, and repulses a number of storms, happens always, and importance is not attached to it usually. But still, for me, that would have been the most welcome news. I see in truth that I did ill, for from what has happened since the defence, as I hear now, I know that to be an important event, which may influence the whole war. 
Still, returning to the campaign of the prince in Podlachie, it is different. Częstochowa is far away, Podlachie is nearer, and when the prince succeeded at first, you remember how quickly news came. Believe me, my lady, I am a young man, but from the fourteenth year of my life I am a soldier, and experience tells me that this silence is prophetic of evil. Rather good, said the lady. Let it be good, answered Ketling. In half a year my service will be ended. In half a year my oath will cease. A few days after this conversation, news came at last. It was brought by Pan Bies of the Shield Cornier, called at Boguswab's court Cornutus. He was a Polish noble, but altogether foreignized, for, serving in foreign armies almost from years of boyhood, he had well-nigh forgotten Polish, or at least spoke it like a German. He had also a foreignized soul, hence was greatly attached to Prince Boguswab. He was going on an important mission to Königsberg, and stopped in Taurogi merely to rest. Braun and Ketling brought him at once to Olenka and Anusha, who at that time lived and slept together. Braun stood like a soldier before Anusha, then turned to Bies and said, This lady is a relative of Pan Zamoyski, therefore of the prince our lord, who has commanded to show her every attention, and she wishes to hear news from the mouth of an eyewitness. Pan Bies in his turn stood erect, as if on service, and awaited the questions. Anusha did not deny relationship with Boguswav, for the homage of the military pleased her. Therefore she motioned to Pan Bies to sit down. When he had taken his place, she asked, Where is the prince at present? The prince is retreating on Sokolka. God grant successfully, said the officer. Tell the pure truth. How is it with him? I will tell the pure truth and hide nothing, thinking that your worthiness will find strength in your soul to hear news less favourable. I will, said Anusha, striking one heel against the other under her robe, with satisfaction that she was called worthiness, and that the news was less favourable. At first everything went well with us, said Bies. We rubbed out on the road several bands of peasants, we scattered the forces of the younger Sapieha, and cut up two squadrons of cavalry with a regiment of good infantry, sparing no one. Then we defeated Pan Horotkiewicz, so that he barely escaped, and some say that he was killed. After that, we occupied the ruins of Tikotsin. We know all this. Tell us quickly the unfavourable news, interrupted Anusha on a sudden. Be pleased, my lady, to listen calmly. We came to Drohitchin, and there the map was unfolded. We had news that Sapieha was still far away. Meanwhile, two of our scouting parties were as if they had sunk through the earth. Not a witness returned from the slaughter. Then it appeared that some troops were marching in front of us. A great confusion rose out of that. The prince began to think that all preceding information was false, and that Sapieha had not only advanced, but had cut off the road. Then we began to retreat. 
for in that way it was possible to catch the enemy and force him to a general battle, which the prince wished absolutely. But the enemy did not give the field. He attacked and attacked without ceasing. From that everything began to melt in our hands. We had rest neither day nor night. The roads were ruined before us, the dams cut, provisions intercepted. Reports were soon circulated that Charnyetsky himself was crushing us. The soldiers did not eat, did not sleep. Their courage fell. Men perished in the camp itself as if the ground were swallowing them. In Białystok, the enemy seized a whole party again, camp chests, the prince's carriages and guns. I have never seen anything like it. It was not seen in former wars either. The prince was changed. He wanted nothing but a general battle, and he had to fight ten small ones every day and lose them. Order became relaxed. And how can our confusion and alarm be described when we learned that Sapieha himself had not come up yet, and that in front of us was merely a strong party which had caused so many disasters? In this party were Tartar troops. Further words of the officer were interrupted by a scream from Anusha, who, throwing herself suddenly on Olenka's neck, cried, Pan Babinich! The officer was surprised when he heard the name, but he judged that terror and hatred had wrested this cry from the breast of the worthy lady. So only after a while did he continue his narrative. To whomsoever God has given greatness, he has given also strength to bear grievous misfortunes. Be pleased, therefore, my lady, to calm yourself. Such, indeed, is the name of this hell-dweller who has undermined the success of the whole expedition, and become the cause of other immense evils. His name, which your worthiness has divined with such wonderful quickness, is repeated now with fear and rage by every mouth in our camp. I saw that Babinich at Zamosht, said Anusha hastily, and could I have guessed? Here she was silent, and no one knew what would have happened in such an event. The officer, after a moment's silence, continued, Thaws and heat set in, despite, it may be said, the regular order of nature, for we had news that in the south of the Commonwealth there was still severe winter, but we were wading in spring mud, which fastened our heavy cavalry to the earth. But he, having light troops, advanced with more ease. We lost wagons and cannon at every step, and were forced at last to go on horseback. The inhabitants round about, in their blind venom, favoured the attackers. What God gives will happen, but I left the whole camp in a desperate condition, as well as the prince himself, whom a malignant fever does not leave, and who loses his power for whole days. A general battle will come quickly, but how it will end, God knows. If he favours, we may hope for wonders. Where did you leave the prince? A day's journey from Sokolka. The prince intends to entrench himself at Suhovola or Yanov and receive battle. Sapieha is two days distant. When I came away, we had a little more freedom. 
for from a captured informant we learned that Babinich himself had gone to the main camp. Without him, the Tartars dare not attack, satisfying themselves with annoying scouting parties. The prince, who is an incomparable leader, places all his hopes on a general battle, but, of course, when he is well. If the fever seizes him, he must think of something else, the best proof of which is that he has sent me to Prussia. Why do you go? Either the prince will win the battle or lose it. If he loses it, all electoral Prussia will be defenceless, and it may happen easily that Sapieha will pass the boundaries, force the elector to a decision. I say this, for it is no secret, I go to forewarn them to have some defence prepared for those provinces, for the unbidden guests may come in too great numbers. That is the affair of the elector and the Swedes, with whom the prince is in alliance, and from whom he has the right to expect rescue. The officer finished. Anusha heaped a multitude of other questions on him, preserving with difficulty dignity sufficient. When he went out, she gave way to herself completely. She fell to striking her skirts with her hands, turning on her heels like a top, kissing Olenka on the eyes, pulling Bilevich by the sleeves and crying, Well now, what did I say? Who has crushed Prince Boguswab? Maybe Pan Sapieha. A fig for Sapieha. Who will crush the Swedes in the same style? Who will exterminate traitors? Who is the greatest cavalier? Who is the greatest knight? Pan Andrei, Pan Andrei. What Andrei? asked Olenka, growing pale suddenly. Have I not told you that his name is Andrei? He told me that himself. Pan Babinich, long life to Babinich. Vorodyovsky could not have done better. What is the matter, Olenka? Panina Bilevich shook herself as if wishing to throw off a burden of grievous thoughts. Nothing. I was thinking that traitors themselves bear that name, for there was one who offered to sell the king, dead or alive, to the Swedes or to Boguslav, and he had the same name, Andrei. May God condemn him, roared Bilevich. Why mention traitors at night? Let us be glad when we have reason. Only let Pan Babinich come here, added Anusha. That's what is needed. I will fool Braun still more. I will, I will, of purpose to raise the whole garrison and go over with men and horses to Pan Babinich. Do that, do that, cried Bilevich, delighted. And afterward, a fig for all those Germans. Maybe he will forget that good-for-nothing woman and give me his law... Then again her thin voice piped. She covered her face with her hands. All at once an angry thought must have come to her, for she clapped her hands and said, If not, I will marry Vorodyovsky. End of chapter 46 Recording by David Granville Young